Well, good morning, ZF family. It's good to see you all. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're grateful that you're here. My name is Drew Hunter. I'm one of the pastors at Zionsville Fellowship. And please grab a Bible, if you have one, and open up to John chapter 11. Uh, We're beginning a new sermon series this morning called Rediscovering Jesus. And the goal is for us to just clear away the fog and the misconceptions that we carry around with us about who the real Jesus is. And one of the best ways to find out who Jesus really is, is to listen to who he says he is. And so we're looking at the Gospel of John, and in in particular the places where Jesus has a statement that begins like, I am, and then he completes it by describing himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And so this morning, we're looking at John 11, and it's an incredible story, one of Jesus' greatest miracles. He raises a man from the dead, and at the heart of the story, he makes a radical claim about himself. It's John 11:25. It's been the verse that our church families memorized this past week, and so let's see if we can do it. So kids and adults alike, let's see if we can recite together John 11:25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. If you were watching the Passion Week devotionals, you know that I didn't get it right on Thursday, so I think I got it right this time. So Easter is about the resurrection hope in a world filled with uncertainty and death. In John 11, this chapter we're going to look at helps us believe in Jesus, to trust in him for the first time, maybe, or to trust him more deeply because there's always more of Jesus to learn about and always more to trust in. And I love that phrase, whoever believes in me, not uh, whoever works for me, whoever gets their life in order for me, but whoever believes in me, that's something we all can do. We receive him with empty hands of faith. We turn from our sins and we trust in him and we, we receive his grace. So anyone can get in on this. Maybe some of you more recently feel like you're becoming more open to discovering Jesus, and you do want to know who is the real Jesus. My prayer for you is that even in this time together, this very morning, you would believe in him as he calls us to do. And some others of you have known Jesus for years, and in this story, Jesus talks to people who do already believe in him, and he calls them to believe because there's always more to trust in and faith can run deeper. So let's read this story from John 11 together, and then we'll walk through it. It's fairly lengthy, so let's buckle up. John 11, beginning at the very beginning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And they said, where have, he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Well, John 11 is one of the most important stories for understanding how relevant Jesus is to our world of suffering. You know, many of us have asked the questions that we just read the people in this story asking. Maybe you've been asking these past weeks during this terrible spread of COVID-19, and this is very personal for many of us right now and maybe in coming weeks, we're asking, how could God let this kind of suffering happen? How could God, if he was really powerful enough, not stop it? 
And if he could stop it, is he not loving? Wouldn't a loving God stop this from happening? So people are asking these kinds of questions in the story. And this story shows us that we will only find satisfying answers to those questions in light of Easter, in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's walk through this story in four parts. We see Jesus' delay, his claim, his tears, and his shout. So first, his delay. Now, that doesn't sound very engaging at first, does it? Now, for my first point, I'd like us to watch Jesus stay a while. Um, But this is actually incredibly surprising, and it teaches us something profound about Jesus's relationship to us in our suffering. Here's the situation. We read that there's two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus has fallen sick, so the sisters tell Jesus that he's sick. And these are not just typical followers of Jesus. These are actually some of Jesus's closest friends. Notice the emphasis on how much he loves them. Look at verse 3. They say, Lord, look, he whom you love is ill. And look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so that's actually what makes the delay of Jesus in verse 6 really surprising. Verse 5 says that Jesus loved them deeply. And then verse 6 says, So, or therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that's not what I expected. I expected this to read, Jesus loved them deeply, so he rushed to them right away so that he could prevent Lazarus from dying. Or Jesus loved them deeply, and so with a word he raised him or he he healed him before he would get too sick to the point of death. Uh, But that's not what he does. The logic here says he loved them so he did not go. He delayed two days. So what's he doing? Well, he tells us he wanted to wait until Lazarus had died for two reasons. The first is in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was very sick, he said, this illness does not lead to death, not ultimately. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die, but he's saying that it doesn't ultimately lead to death because he's going to raise him. And it's through this, through raising Lazarus, that he displays the Father's glory and his own glory. He's going to reveal something about who he is. The second reason is verse 15. After Lazarus died, he said to his disciples, For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus delayed going so that his disciples would believe. He wants to show them his glory so they deepen their trust in him. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's think about it. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' death. Uh, He could have healed him but he didn't. Here's what this shows us. Jesus is strong enough to prevent our suffering, but sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, he has a loving heart and good reasons. Now, we may not know the reasons. Uh, As John Piper said, uh, in everything God does, he's doing a million things, and we may know three of them. Uh, but there, there are good reasons. If, if God is big enough to prevent something bad from happening in your life, then he is certainly big enough to have reasons for why he doesn't do that, that we can trust him for even if we don't know. And that's what these people in the story are wrestling with. 
right? Mary and Martha, through the story, both of them say, Jesus, why did you let this happen, right? You could have prevented this, but they're in the midst of the story, right? They don't know how it's going to unfold. They don't see the outcome, but we do as readers of this story. We see where this is going, and so we want to say to them in the middle of it, hey, just wait. You'll see it all come together. Jesus does have a loving heart. He has wisdom, and he has good reasons for why he's doing this, and it'll make sense to you in the end. So in our suffering, we are like Mary and Martha. We're in the middle of our story, and we do not see how this is going to unfold. Maybe you have great suffering in your life, unexpected suffering in your life right now, or maybe you will in these next weeks or months or years, and you will not know what the Lord is doing through that. You won't know the outcome. Uh, But if you did know the end, then you may say to yourself in this situation, you can trust him. You don't know the reasons, but he has them. We don't know where it's heading, but God does. And so one day we'll find out, maybe not in this life, but in the one to come. So that's his delay. Second, let's consider his claim. So Jesus goes to the village or near the village and Martha comes to him. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again. She hears that and her mind plugs that into the theology she has and uh, which is true, but Jesus is about to expand it. So she says in verse 24, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You know, many, many Jews at that time, not all of them, but many of them from their reading of the Old Testament believed that there would come a last day when God would raise his people from the dead and renew all of creation. But Jesus is expanding her thinking here. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So what's the promise here? Well, he's affirming that there will be a future resurrection. That This was rooted in the Old Testament. Here's a summary of the Christian view of history. God made the world good in all of its earthly physicality. God created all things and said it was very good. And this is why, by the way, we miss being with each other right now when we have to be physically isolated from one another uh, because God made us for real, physical, embodied friendship and relationships. And this is hard. Um, Yet even though God made the world good, uh, we've messed it up. We've loved his world and his gifts and ourselves more than we loved him. Uh, Augustine, North African Uh, pastor, church leader from the early centuries of the church said that our issue is that we have disordered loves. That's a great way to say what the Bible says our issue is. Our loves are all off. We, We love things in the wrong proportion. And our biggest issue is idolatry, which is loving anything other than God above God. And as a result of this sin, God's brought the judgment of death into the world. And so now our world is filled with a just judgment looming over us and death coming and suffering and our own sin, all leading to eternal judgment. But God, from the very beginning as well, promised that a day would come when he would raise his people from the dead, all those who trust him, and renew all of creation. He would set everything right, make all things new, no more sin, no more coronavirus, no more suffering, no more death. And Martha believed this future hope And Jesus affirmed it. But then Jesus goes further here. He says, not just, yes, the resurrection will happen. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me, not just um, everyone who is alive physically and believes, but those who have this, a new spiritual life, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So there's two things here. First, he's saying that there is a spiritual life that, that can begin now. And if you have this spiritual life now, there is a sense in which death isn't really death anymore. A physical death is only partial and only temporary because our eternal life and spiritual life continues on. Death is a doorway to be with the Lord Jesus. And then in the resurrection in the future, our bodies are raised again from the dead. So even physical death is temporary in that sense. And the second thing he's saying is that this is all wrapped up in him. Uh, He says that he is the source of spiritual life and he's the source of the future resurrection life. He's making it very personal here. This isn't just about getting eternal life as kind of an abstract idea. Uh, This is about coming to Jesus as the one who is life. He said later, this is eternal life. He didn't say it's just living forever. He said, this is eternal life that they, those who trusted him, may know you, the Father, and the Son whom you've sent. So eternal life is at its essence knowing God forever, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So here's the promise. If you trust in Jesus, your eternal and spiritual life begins now, and death is a doorway to be with Jesus, and then you're coming up again in the resurrection, and it's all wrapped up in him. So that's his claim. Now, third, his tears So Mary comes to Jesus, and look at verse 33 with me. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. This is not just sentimental. This is actually very strong emotional language. There's actually a mix of two emotions here, though we might not catch it at first. He's not just sad. He's also angry. The Greek word for deeply moved has given translators trouble for a long time, but almost every commentator on this text agrees that it's stronger than just deeply moved. In fact, it's a word that describes anger or even outrage. So the word shows up again in verse 38 when Jesus is standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. He's right there at the tomb and he's deeply moved again. He's angered in spirit. So why is he sad and why is he angry? Well, I've thought about this for a long time, and I think others are right when they say this. Jesus is deeply moved at the sadness and the suffering caused by death. He sees people he loves grieving at the the loss of death. And so he stands there at the tomb with a holy disdain for death and its consequences. You know, our culture tends to either ignore death or sentimentalize it. Um, It's called a natural part of life sometimes, but the Christian view of death is not sentimentalized. Death is an intrusion. It's not part of life, it's anti-life. It's not a natural part of life. It unnaturally rips the human spirit from the body, which God joined together at the beginning and said it's very good. So the Bible calls death the last enemy. It separates us from one another. And Jesus is grieved and angered in the face of it. And he's weeping with those who are grieving about it. Now you may be thinking, why is Jesus sad if he could have prevented it? And why is he sad and angry at death 
when within moments he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now that makes sense at one level, but that actually misses the complexity of emotions. I mean, maybe you've watched a movie a number of times, and even on the fifth or sixth time through, if you love that movie, you can still get caught up in the emotions of it, even though you know how it's going to unfold. And that's, sim- that's how our emotions work. So Jesus is entering into their grief, though he knows what will unfold from there. He's sharing their sorrows. And this also would miss the complexity of Jesus, because Jesus is truly God, but he's also truly human. Uh, he enters into our sorrows with us, and he feels them as a human being because he's truly God and truly human. This means that when Jesus delays in your suffering, um, even though he knows his good plans for you, he still enters in and sympathizes with you, and he knows what it's like to grieve loss in the midst and, and experience this sorrow because he loves you. So let's look at this final section then, the the shout. Jesus was angry at death, and so he approaches Lazarus' tomb like a conquering warrior. And he shouted into the tomb. Verse 43 says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. He didn't do any magical incantations to make this happen. He just prayed to the Father and spoke life into the tomb. So this is a complex picture of Jesus that we're seeing, but this is the real Jesus, right? He weeps and he shouts, he grieves death and he conquers death. And the most most helpful thing we can do for ourselves and others is to hold this real Jesus up in front of ourselves, to not lose sight of this being the real Jesus, especially in the midst of suffering and death, we need this Jesus, the real Jesus. You know, on one extreme, some people emphasize Jesus' tears. They say that Jesus sympathizes with us in our suffering, and that's true. But then they go too far, and they say, you know, God didn't want this to happen. Uh, He isn't powerful enough to stop it, and that's why it's here. So they think that having, um, in order to have a weeping Jesus, you need to have a weak one. On the other extreme, some people overemphasize or exclusively emphasize Jesus' shout, his power, right? They say that Jesus is in control of our suffering, uh, and he allows it for good reasons, and that's true. But then they will add this in going too far. They say he doesn't really feel compassion for us, right? They think that to have a strong Jesus, you need to have a stoic one, and so they, they mute the tears of Jesus in order to emphasize the shout of Jesus. But Jesus, here, he weeps without being weak, and he's strong without being stoic. This is the real Jesus. So in our suffering, we don't have to choose, right? We'll be disillusioned if we do. We need the real Jesus with all of his power and all of his kindness and tenderness. So when you're with someone who is grieving, you also don't have to pick one of these either. Right? We comfort with both. We affirm the goodness of grief. We affirm that it's right to cry. We give space for tears. And we also affirm our hope because God did allow whatever suffering is coming into your friend's life and he could have prevented it. And therefore, if he allowed it and could have prevented it, he must have good reasons. And he, and he wraps that all up into his purposes for good. 
You know, Romans 8.28, a wonderful text that speaks to this, doesn't say that all things are good. It says that God works everything together for good. So he even takes the bad things in life and works them together in our lives for good. All right, now you may be thinking, if this really is the real Jesus, and if that's what he's really like, then that really would change everything. It would change our view of suffering and death, right? When he delays, we can trust his wisdom. When he weeps, we can trust his heart. When he shouts in triumph and promises the triumph over the grave, we can trust his power. We can hope in Jesus for spiritual life now and resurrection life in the new creation to come. But how do we know this is true? And how do we know that this is true for us personally? And it wasn't just true back then for Lazarus. Well, the rest of the story from here in the Gospel of John points in this direction. Just briefly, I want to show you what John, uh, this friend of Jesus who wrote this story, recounting Jesus' life and death, how he shaped this gospel narrative that we have in front of us. And I encourage you, especially if this is new to you, to grab a Bible and read through the Gospel of John in these next few days. So here's what he's doing. This book has two main sections, in a, and this is the hinge. The first section shows Jesus' signs and miracles, and this is the climactic one, this resurrection from the dead. And then John takes the second half of this gospel, and he bookends it with stories of resurrection. This resurrection of Lazarus being risen from the dead, and then Jesus' death and resurrection. And so this story is really a turning point. And did you notice what the disciples said when we read the story, when Jesus was saying he wanted to go near Judea in order to be with Lazarus? They were warning him, don't go. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't you know that they want to kill you there? Right? And they did. There were people that wanted to have him killed near Judea. And Jesus went knowing that that was the case. So here's what's going on. Jesus goes to raise Lazarus, his friend, from the dead, and it ends up costing him his life. Because that resurrection is what gets the attention of the people. And right after this story, immediately we see some people believe. Other people go tell the Jewish leaders who then finally plot his death. And it happens very quickly. So this is the turning point, And Jesus knows it. So Jesus had said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And here in this story, we see him doing that for his friend Lazarus in a very real sense in order to love and rescue his friend Lazarus, it cost him his life. And there's, this is a, an illustration, a picture of this greater sacrifice Jesus did for us in order for him to raise us from the dead in the future, to give us spiritual life now and forgiveness now, restoration to God, and then the resurrection life in the age to come. In order for him to do this, he had to give his life for us because he needed to take the judgment of death that we deserve. I mean, death is here, rightly because of our sin. And so Jesus took it upon himself so that he could raise us from the dead. He did that for us because we're his friends. He gave his life down for us. So that's what Easter is all about. And so what do we do with this this morning? Well, we need to hear Jesus's question that he asked Martha in verse 26. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said, do you believe this? And then as we, we read through this whole story, we come to the very end and we see people responding. Some believed in him, others walked away and rejected him. So for all of us, the question is, do you believe in him and do you trust him? If you have never trusted Jesus as the true king of creation, as your savior from sin, 
as your resurrector from death, as your friend, you can do that right now. You can acknowledge that you have had disordered loves, that you have rejected the one true God, and you've been aloof from him, and that you deserve the death that's coming because of sin. And then you can receive Jesus with the empty hands of faith. He just says, do you believe me? And so we trust him. We give him our lives. And he gives us in exchange himself with all the forgiveness and the grace and the eternal kindness that he has. And for those of you who already do trust Jesus, there is more of Jesus to learn and more of Jesus to know and more of Jesus to trust in. You know, Martha and Mary, they already believed in Jesus, but he still calls them to believe because we, faith is, is not static, it's dynamic. We have to re-believe moment by moment. We have to re-believe the truth of Jesus in the midst of our suffering, and we have to believe in him more deeply. So when Jesus is delayed in your suffering, trust him. Trust his love and wisdom. And he is with you in your suffering as he was with Mary and Martha, and one day he'll remove all sin and suffering and sickness from this world and make all things new. And as you stand at a funeral, and as that body's lowered into the ground, you can know that just as Jesus shouted into Lazarus's tomb and he rose, Jesus will one day speak with his northern Galilean accent and he will cause the bodies to rise again from the grave. And all those who believe in him will be raised to newness of life forever, to live in a new creation with him and his people forever. And he invites us this morning, all of us, to turn to him and to trust him and receive this good gift. Well, let's pray together right now, and then just two other notes before we wrap up. You can join me. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you. Thank you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that anyone who believes in him will not die but we'll have eternal life. And so we pray that you would cause us to trust in you with all of our heart and cling to you in the midst of sin and sorrow and suffering to know that we have forgiveness from you and we have you as our God who has wisdom and power and we can trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name and we thank you for his resurrection. Amen. Well, two notes. First of all, uh, let's connect to one another. We're experiencing this service together, though we're not gathered at the same place, we are gathered at the same time, so um, send each other a text or an email or call someone or do a video call and connect and encourage one another and reflect on what you're thankful for today in light of Easter. And then second, stay tuned for the next couple minutes here uh, for something that I think you'll enjoy to kick off the rest of this day. So before that, here's a benediction from God's Word. Now may the love of God our Father and the infinite grace of our risen Lord Jesus Christ and the near fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all on this Resurrection Sunday.